Hey fellow fraud fighters, a big welcome to the Seon Cat and Mouse Show, where we'll look to get into the mindset, thinking and learnings of the hardest working group of heroes we know, the fraud fighting professional. And on alternative shows, we'll dive into the opposite world of current or ex-fraudsters to get a real insight into what's driving them to do what they do. And ultimately, we'll be trying to best work out who's the real cat and mouse here. So a very big welcome to this uh, this week's um, episode. Uh, we've managed to source an anonymous fraudster who's um, uh, been open enough to actually uh, jump into a topic. Uh, the topic is account takeover, ATO. So this particular fraudster utilizes across a number of industries from e-com, high-end luxury, I believe, through to financial service, uh, through to some of the trading platforms as well. Um, so this is really interesting to source. We're going to call this um, this fraudster Anonymous A. So Anonymous A, first of all, thanks for taking a few minutes to dive into ATO. Thank you. And hello to all the listeners tuning in now. You know, we call it ATO in the fraud uh, prevention industry, uh, account takeover. What does ATO mean to you and how do you look at that strategy? I think it means the same thing for me as a fraudster as for anyone on the industry fighting side. It's getting unauthorized access to someone's existing account. So essentially taking over the account by impersonating someone using a stolen password and causing harm to this victim as well as producing gain for your own self. So it's 2021. One of the interesting things I think you've shared in private chat before is you only started this less than a year. So you're really on the current side of looking at exploits. Can you, can you talk to us about what are some popular strategies that you feel are particularly effective for uh, gaining access into other people's accounts. Yeah, I would say there are two types of stakeholders in a successful ATO attack. One of these stakeholders is getting the stolen login details and the other is utilizing it. So you can do very well on one of these or even both, but you can also skip one of these parts. Let's say if you're more interested in utilizing stolen logins and buying them from the dark web or specific merchants, then you're in the latter group. This means that you buy a combination of username or email and password then you know the site which you try to access to, and as well as can be only on the former site value actually, are scaling up specific phishing or social engineering methods, and just fooling people into giving their details login details without the knowledge of your existence. I would say this year that we have seen this rise in activity since the pandemic, like a new wave of wannabes as well as genuine organized criminal groups who are committing ATO attacks. We all know the basics of ATO attacks. Most of them are happening because data breaches. In the data breach, you could find a password, and then you could use that password in the combination of the email address or username to it in an automated version, but to try to log in different sites where you've saved a specific payment instrument. Most of the e-commerce sites want to optimize for conversion. Uh, they let anyone save the credit card details, which I guess is all about conversion, and us cyber criminals know about this. The easiest way to get a password from someone is just looking into all the data breaches. There's a high chance that someone was part of the data breach already, which means that none of their passwords got pulled, and since people reuse them across different sites, there's a high possibility to use it on a specific site or an eBay or a provider or even on a bank account, which we can try to log into. If we don't use a password that's coming from our previous data breach, then what we can do is launch phishing or social engineering attacks. Then this can happen through mass emailing or mass SMS sending. It's very easy to acquire because of the data breaches. Like hundreds of millions, I think it's in fact there's more than 18 billion linked email addresses out there circulating, so you know almost anyone's email address. The question is, how do you know where they're registered? 
and what kind of message and how do you send it to someone. It depends a lot on what kind of domain you use, where you host your phishing page, or as well as what kind of text you put in your message, because you have to provide authenticity. You have to seem like an alleged site. Also, you have to have the highest conversion from these emails in terms of open rate, then probably you will get lots of links or passwords and access details on your end. It's quite similar to what you do. It's really similar to marketing business outreach emails because we also tend to use the same kind of tools like marketing automation as a mail chain. We love to use it because they bypass the different firewalls on the popular free email service providers. You can open up accounts, you can create multiple accounts on them, and then you can use them to send password emails to steal the password. And what you can do is provide a select portfolio to send out the different SMSs where you can input a link. The link should be very similar, as people are getting aware to become more and more aware about phishing attacks. You have to be really sophisticated in how your page looks, like what URL you use here, and this is about the message. For example, I could formulate what's been really successful on my end by using the refund scheme. So then you have a bounce refund. People tend to file for this thing, so it's been quite good, and there are other types of phishing attacks. There are more sophisticated attack plans. You can actually real-time scrape the target's victim's website. Let's say if you want to steal a bank login, you scrape real-time the bank login page, and then we use the password, but also you send requests to enter the one-time password. That's been really successful for me in actually setting up new phone numbers after logging in, and then you just remove the original account order contact details from the account so they don't get access to an email. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, depending on the site, but also what I tried and was really good at was actually spamming the mailbox of the victim at the same time. With this method, then you have to access to other services, even Telegram. You can find different service providers who, if you send an email and you tell them the time, they'll send them hundreds of emails which bypass the spam filter. So if they get like 100 emails of random offers and newsletters, they might not find your email, which is a warning message or just an informative email to say someone logged in from this. As well as this, I just think that if something happened, your mailbox would explode. So they can't really see if I just did it at all via the email. I don't see someone has access or changed their account details or changed the shipping address, unfortunately. Also, the merchants are getting smarter about this, informing about any activity the user and someone logged in. Someone shares the ship, in case someone orders something and they're also preparing. You have to be smart as a fraudster in making sure your victim is not aware. You can also do some level of social engineering and call in the name of the provider, explain that you're a part of a scam and tell them please to log in here, or if you got an email, this is something we reverse, don't worry, or even if you have noticed something accessing your account. Then, they do not contact the site because if they call, they think that actually it was something that's been already taken care of by the company. And if you, of course, explain to the customer that we refunded, you don't worry, they might not even realize for weeks that actually who called them was also part of the whole scam. Um, you dive back actually uh, a little bit about the separation of roles. I'm curious just to get your personal take anonymous. Say, you talked about um, there's almost like uh, the the acquisition side and those strategies you talked about, a number of them that are working well for you. And then the other side is the utilization of that account information. Do you tend to find in your experience that fraudsters specialize in one or the other, or do you have to use the developer's term, like the full stack, <laughs> you know, both ends? What, what, what's your view on that? Yeah, I think it depends on your time, investment, and how well of a job you do. So definitely if you are a jack-of-all-trades guy and you can cover the full spectrum of acquisition to using the data, 
If you're very knowledgeable and experienced in formulating these phishing messages and buying domains that look like the original site, and then good acquisition, then some people tend to scale up on that and then just re-log in details and they don't actually utilize those login details and stuff. That makes sense. Because uh, I know when we check marketplaces, um, you do get a lot of specialization. Um, so almost like microservice, this is what you'll give for X dollars uh, or BTC, um, uh, literally, you know, the, the, the amount of credentials. Um, c- can I change the, the discussion slightly? You also mentioned um, on the merchants that you target to you, how do you define what's a good merchant to go exploit on using those credentials? How how do you think about that? What are the ones that you want to spend the time with that you can probably get ROI on? Yeah, for me, I would say definitely a digital wallet. That type of provider is the number one target as a way when you can save your card details and then reuse a save card to purchase things that as a high sale value and as well as even specific like bonus or save the points that can hold it in an account, which then you can use to acquire better things. You know, most of our audience, uh, hopefully, <laughs> are uh, fraud fighters. I'm curious, any uh, to take your, uh, your head out of what you do, any advice uh, for those, uh, those professionals that are fighting against you? Like, I'm curious, any, any advice? I'm not sure what kind of advice or methods like the websites, which I came up with, but it seems very limited because if I tried solely by myself on those sites, They send me an email of tried access or to force me to enter a passcode if I use the same browser or the same device. They're being super sensitive about what browser or device you use to access the site, and even if you use the same one, they still force you to enter a one-time passcode or something like that. I don't really understand why, but I was just thinking it might be such an inconvenience for the customers to force them to enter an OTP every time to access that they should think to make it a bit more lightweight. And it might be helpful for us to process too. But the customers might be more happy. And in the end, even if they do browser fingering and everything, we can steal that. You can steer through the phishing site so you could recreate the same type of browser. And therefore, it's not a bulletproof solution alone. As well as this, I've seen that they are really far from actually checking such things like IP addresses. All the targets I've looked into kind of differentiate between a normal residential proxy and VPN. I don't even have to use residential proxies to automate my attacks on the login forms because they just don't really know what it is or how to identify those. Some of them have Cloudflare protection, which does, and then I just change through that shop proxy because they're also very accessible. A little bit more expensive on my end, but there are these providers where you can easily find millions of IPs being served and you can just access some of other people's computers to their site. You don't have to use servers or the hidden types of proxies. I see what these merchants are fighting for is more like the kind of striking OTPs on a higher level. And then I think maybe they're spending more on those SMSs instead of just letting customers go in and out and check out how fast I do. They think as a fraudster are always upping our game to overcome these different measurements as long as you can access a site. It is a name and password. You could steal it and you'll be able to access it anyhow, even if you're not the real customer. And there are not any ways how you would prevent that. Um, we're the Say on Cat and Mouse podcast. From your point of view, in the world of fraud fighter versus uh, you, the fraudster, who's the cat? Uh, who's the mouse there? I'm very confident about my skills, so I would say I'm on the cat side, not on the mouse. And we are chasing the merchants and the victims for actions. In the end, we're always the one who are winning long term because we can continue to do what we do as people are using more services and they just forget about security. 
The human event is always there, which is exploitable, and I think therefore we are more empowered than the targets because they're not going to check each login. They're not going to check each access, and they cannot do it on a scale as we do. Anonymous A, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's show. At Seon, our whole startup is 100% focused on helping you, the hardworking fraud manager, fight fraud with tools that are intuitive and fully complement your existing risk tech stack. Check out our website where you can get started on a free trial and be up and running in 30 seconds or less.